Okay, now, I promised our listeners that you would sit a little further away, uh, because, I don't know, the mic picks up your voice frequency a lot better than it picks up mine. Is this far enough? That's perfect. In fact, while you're over there, inventory something. The Game Nuts Podcast, an audio format collection of news and opinions, spends its first section this week talking about the triumphant return of EGM, a print format collection of news and opinions. Meta! Voter pans a universal controller idea based on a touchscreen, both hosts keep beating the PSP Go dead horse. International listeners can go take a bathroom break as they talk about a hypocritical wing of the U.S. government, then come back as they talk about Tetris. So grab some popcorn, a drink, and relax for episode 30 of the Game Nuts Podcast. So, good morning again at the Game Nuts Podcast. This is episode 29 or 30. It's it's up there. 29 or 30. <laughs> yes. Welcome to 30 wait, or 29. Wait. This is uh, to Boater. And this is Fear the Claw, staying away from the microphone. Let's hope. Um, so yes, I have nothing interesting to talk about this week. I have no great things that will add ten minutes to a conversation. It is 30, by the way. It is 30. That's awesome. We have Dude, opened... We, we should have had some sort of celebration. Right? We have opened Schrodinger's box. Okay. So, let's see here. Well, my favorite gaming magazine, uh, EGM, is coming back. Oh, cool. Uh, I... I can't remember the name of the guy who bought it, but he's uh, re-releasing it as EGM Now. <laughs> and, uh, and he's re-releasing all the old ones as EGM Then. Uh, well, actually, uh, speaking of old EGMs, he's they're starting out by uh, offering a digital copy on the website, EGMNow.com, of the fabled last issue of EGM, which was never actually released. Oh, okay. Uh, it has Street Fighter 4 on the cover, and yeah, should be So when when was it more or less cancelled? Like, what uh, what is the uh, abbreviated saga of EGM uh, within 30 seconds? Well, I believe, well, EGM of course was one of the oldest video game magazines. Uh, ran for, I think, over 20 years. Nice. And then... Uh, when magazines started to fall out of favor and, you know, things got more and more online, EGM and 1UP had trouble trouble adjusting, and Ziff Davis, the company that published them, decided to drop the magazine altogether and restructure Mm 1UP. So, uh, it went away, and it was a lot of people's favorite gaming magazines, certainly mine. Because if Davis, I think, also does, like, official PlayStation and official Xbox magazine, don't Yeah, they? I think... I, yeah. I think... Uh, it seems, seems a little odd that they would drop that, but again, that, that's old news at this point, and we'll not discuss that. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, um, I believe its last issue was December of 2007, uh, but somebody might have to correct me on that. Uh, and... I'm sure we will. Uh, thank you to Chris Vaughn, who has become our Factboard. Yes. Thank you, Factboard. Yes, always good to have somebody... Keeping us honest. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, again, my favorite gaming magazine. I was very disappointed when it went away. I was very glad that I had only bought a one-year subscription because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't lose out on too much money. But I will be resubscribing to it. I just love the opinions mm-hmm. in it. Do they have a lot of the same writers? 
Because that's sure. that's the thing. I know a few. Of is the, it going to be the same name or is it going to be the same faces behind it too? Well, I know a few of the writers never really went on to do and do any other mm-hmm. you know major stuff if, like they if the guy who, freelance stuff. But. If the guy who uh, got control of it is smart, he's going to approach the classic writers first before he tries to get anyone else. Well, and EGM had just a certain style of writing that could not be duplicated. They were. Strongly opinionated, but witty about it. So translation, they were a blog in print form. Um, I mean, I, there are a lot of yeah. there are a lot of blogs that are strongly opinionated and make an effort to be witty in order to get uh, readers. And magazines usually couldn't afford to do that because uh, they need to attract as many readers as possible. Blogs can afford to be a little more niche, but you know, when EGM was big, gaming itself was a niche. Yeah, and so. and EGM also had a had kind of the niche audience, like yeah. a lot of the sort of universal opinions that people wanted. They subscribed to GamePro. People who subscribed to EGM did it because they liked this very kind of in-your-face, honest mm-hmm. style of journalism, which. Honestly, for a couple of years, I got turned off by it. I said, all right, these guys are too opinionated, and I stopped reading it. And then after a while, I started listening to the podcast and started appreciating their honesty and deciding, you know what, if I don't like their opinion, I don't have to like their opinion. But, you know, it's nice to know somebody's out there giving their honest opinion yeah. asking and asking tough questions. Again, I guess, I'll, you know, Kotaku gets a lot of flack for it sometimes, too. Uh, but, yeah, I'll say blog in print form before someone came up with this silly word blog. <laughs> there were a blog before there was a blog. Bogus. Blog, 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 blog. I'm gonna wear out that word so I can't say it anymore. So EGM's back. Yes. Um. So you seriously got nothing. I seriously. Um. Actually, I do have one thing. Um. A uh, patent uh, recently surfaced that Sony filed that. Um, an idea for a universal controller, sort of like how you have universal remote for your uh, DVD player and your TV and your entertainment system. It would be a universal controller that would be for like PlayStation and Xbox and Nintendo and like Sega stuff, uh, things like that. Pretty sure Mad Cats already makes something like that. <laughs> it's it would be meant for like every system and. First big problem, how would you connect it? Okay, maybe it'd be like the USB that you have the different connectors for, okay? Yeah, I was going to say, because some of the systems use Bluetooth, others use different wireless technology. Yeah, and then there's all the wired ones from the previous generation. Right. That. Um, and, you know, would... Some, someone said, oh, well, maybe it's because like they're going to do like virtual console stuff on the PlayStation. It's like Nintendo and Microsoft will not release games for virtual console on PS3. It wouldn't happen. But you know, it's. I don't think that they would release their standards. Uh, that they would. They certainly wouldn't license it. Certainly, Microsoft, for instance, would not license their controller to Sony. Right. You know. Um, the other thing that really turned me off about it is that the way that it would work. You know, you think of all the different button layouts. The only things that are even remotely similar is uh, DualShock controllers and Xbox controllers. Xbox and Xbox 360. Because they have the four buttons yeah. on the right. Which are based on the Super Nintendo controller mm-hmm. originally. Yeah, well, it's like four buttons on the right, uh, and analog thumbstick in the lower right. 
PS2 is analog thumbstick lower left and D-pad upper right, and Xbox 360, well, sorry, all dual shocks are that, and Xbox 360 just flips that up. I've seen a PC controller where that bit is on a gimbal and you can switch it to either one that you like, and that's really cool. But the way that this would work, the way that this would work would be that you load a profile and say, GameCube! Yes, you say gimbal. Uh, you say, gimbal. you say GameCube. GameCube. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> you say GameCube, and what it loads is that the, the surface of the controller is a touch screen that has the buttons on it. Alright, I'm out. No, Sa done. Yep, same here, because done. you don't want to look at your controller when you're playing. You need to be able to feel your way around the controller. And I've said this before, I have an iPod Touch, I've tried to play Pac-Man on it, the virtual buttons and and control pad do not work. Mm -hmm. just... You you need to have that sort of tactile feedback. Yeah. Um, such to the point where, you know, where in say like Minority Report where you have like things floating around in the air, people are doing that with their hands. There's no feedback there. A lot of people are saying in sci-fi that wouldn't make sense. And then of course I was seeing something with a sci-fi universe where it's like, well, they have little vibration things built into their hands so they can feel when they tap a surface. Oh boy, I, I, I love it when sci-fi geeks try and make up explanations for things. That it was don't actually even a need an explanation. It explains the rule of cool to also be practical. So, thank you, TV Tropes, for the name Rule of Cool, and thank you, Mass Effect, because that was the one that came up with today. Go ahead, you have to get a news item. Let's see, let me scan through. What is wrong with me? Uh, oh, we, we definitely have to touch on that one, but we'll save that one for touch later. Touch screen on that one? What? Uh, anyway, uh. So, PSP Go, we've pretty universally hated that all, all along, right? Yeah, I've been, I've, we've been pretty negative on it. Well, they, they've come up with a an idea to possibly sell more PSP Go's. Um, basically... Is it lowering buy, the price? <laughs> I didn't say it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, they're releasing it with the UMD drive. Uh, a d detachable UMD drive. <laughs> Which, which would, that would be kind of funny, because, you know, it'd be like, wait, you can buy a $250 PSP Go with an external UMD drive, or you can just buy a $170 one that has it built in, and a bigger screen. <laughs> well, actually, remember, because of the form factor is one of the things, I actually voted PSP Go, and there's stuff less. Anyway, continue. I, anyway. I actually know what the deal is, but I was just... Okay, well anyway, new PSP Go owners, pardon me, will get a free downloadable copy of either Little Big Planet or Assassin's Creed Bloodlines. Which is actually quite cool because those are both solid games. Yes. It's not like they're they're packaging, you know, Daxter with it. Yeah, I mean that I I could definitely go for one of getting one of those games for free. The problem is I couldn't justify getting one of those games for free after paying for a system that's $100 more than it should be and 100% less functional. Yeah. I mean, like, if I was in the market for a handheld and if the PSP Go was 50 bucks cheaper, I would give it serious thought. Be I mean... 100 for me, $150 is the most I would pay for a game system that can't play most of the games that are out there for it. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. And Joystick was discussing this uh, on their last episode that 
there isn't even any sort of guarantee that a digital copy of a new game is going to be available on PlayStation Network. They haven't gotten those contracts negotiated yet. Yeah, this and is true. This is even true. even if the game comes out on both UMD and download, it's not necessarily on the same day. The download version might not be out for another week or two. See, the, the really big thing that I like with PSP Go is its form factor. It's smaller. I like that slider uh, factor. That's cool. It slides open. Uh, but controls... unfortunately, there's so, there, you're right, there are so many negatives. Yeah, and the control layout is just atrocious. The analog... Seems fine to me. Uh, the analog nub was poorly conceived in the original PSP. I think well, it's even worse positioned in the Go. Mm. Well, the idea of the analog nub, I mean, it, it has... It's pretty much as good as you can get with an analog thumbstick without having, you oh, know, a little piece that it, goes in. It works decently enough. It's just poorly positioned. Again, Sony needs to learn if you're going to make games in a 3D environment, you have to make the analog control your primary control and true. the D-pad secondary. This is true. I mean, it was one thing on the original DualShock on the original PlayStation where 3D was still kind of fledgling, but by the PlayStation 2, they should have put it on a gimbal. <laughs> they should have put it on a gimbal. Gimbal. I don't know why I'm so entertained by that word. I don't know. It's a fun word. <laughs> it's a fun word. That's the word of the day, gimbal. But by the way, if you, if you want to know what I was referencing earlier, look up Bulbous Buffon by the Vestibules. It's, uh... It, it takes a little while to get into it, but uh, everybody I've introduced it to has absolutely loved it and quoted it. So I wish our listeners could see this stare I'm giving you. This. Let's move along. I, I, I wish our <laughs> listeners could see me aiming for your nuts with my foot. That's wonderful. Um, what else? <laughs> Jesus. I, I don't know. I got nothing. Sticky is apparently consigned to being a guest host every now and then. <laughs> Alright, well, let's let's get on to some anger-inducing stuff. Yay! Is it Activision? No. Does that have to do with Australia? No. Oh, oh. It has to do with Republicans. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's <laughs> um, start a political flame war, please. <laughs> well, well, let, let, me just, let me just get this, and I'm going to read this uh, paraphrase from Joystick because it's too long to try and reword myself. Okay. Conservatives are hoping to attract younger supporters with video games. Let me say that again. Conservatives attracting younger supporters with video games. Savor this concept for a moment. Apparently they're developing Grand Theft Capital Hill. So, uh, and again, I'm going uh, pretty much word for word from what I copy-pasted from Joystick. Conservative Political Action Conference will have Glenn Beck as a keynote speaker. Fail number one. The NRA will be on hand. And there will be a video game lounge equipped with Xboxes and Wiis. Kevin McCullough... Oh, no love for PlayStation. Kevin McCullough, yes, yes, the same conservative commentator who had to apologize to gamers after claiming the first Mass Effect game was, quote, pushing our next generation of young men through the gates of hell, unquote, has created something called the X-Pack Lounge. Um, I, I really hope our viewers are able to see somewhere on the political spectrum where our views lie. <laughs> because of the way that we're covering this, there's no way we're, they we're staying neutral with this topic. <laughs> well, I mean, if, even, even if you... 
I, I, it's... E- even if you want to stay politically neutral in this, they have spent the past probably at least five years condemning video games and, you know, siding with people like Jack Thompson and saying how horrible these things are. Now that, you know, Republicans are pretty much, uh, failing on the political side, they're saying, okay, we need to get some of the the younger gamers involved in... Yeah. It's just... they've, They've realized that, um... Now, to people outside of the states who listen to us, which has to be, like, nobody, you probably don't care too much, but, you know, Republicans, conservatives in general, are usually an older generation that, if they have any video game experience, it would be, like, way back in the Atari, or they have a Wii. Um, and really, I don't think there's any way that conservatives would be able to market to gamers. There's absolutely no way it's going to happen, yeah, because of that history that they have. Exactly, and that's the thing, is something like this, after all that we've gone through with the attacks on video games and video gaming and video gamers, just comes off as incredibly insincere. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's a desperate attempt to gain followers by, look, look, I've got candy! Come, come get into the conservative band, we've got candy! I mean, really, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of that one myself. Let's move yeah, on before, nice. before before uh, we before we ruin, we ruin our flow. Before yes. we ruin it. Okay. Um. Oh, here's a quick one you, you'd you'd appreciate. Um. Steve Weeby reclaims Donkey Kong Junior World Record. Weeby. That's all I got. This okay. Steve Weeby, the uh, star of documentary, the King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters, who uh, broke Billy Mitchell's record in the original Donkey Kong, then lost it, then regained it, then lost it again, then re- regained it, and various other times since the movie was made, has now claimed the Donkey Kong Jr. record. And I'm sure Billy Mitchell is, you know, grumbling to himself somewhere in his barbecue sauce factory and looking for that long-lost videotape that he made 20 years ago. Uh, oh, I do have one more thing. Uh, Watch last, the King of Kong. Um, last week when you we were talking about what game would work for the Olympic Games if it was video gaming. Ah, yes. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine afterwards as I was editing and he said Tetris. Tetris. And I, I could definitely go with Tetris as an Olympic sport because... It's universal. It's on it's, pretty much every game system yep, ever it's made. it's platform independent. It there's a standard for the for the main game. I mean, there's there's other ways to play it, but they always keep the standard Tetris, standard scoring. I mean, there's you know it's the Tetris company that you know publishes all of these and you know makes sure that everything stays straight. Uh, you know, if you see a Tetris game, it's always licensed by them. So there is a presiding body for the sport. Yeah. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely see Tetris. The only problem is you can't make an Olympic. Pardon me. You can't make an Olympic gaming uh, event based solely on Tetris. There has to be something else. But I could definitely see Tetris as a really good jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it, it it could be on its own because I mean, depending on the way it's played. Um, you know, and, and how it's scored and such, it could still be very edge of your seat. 
I imagine that there would be a modified Olympic version that would go faster so that you're not sitting there for hours. <laughs> Speaking of Tetris, um, I recently got my hands on a copy of uh, Tengen's Tetris for the NES. I don't know if you know anything about the history of that. Um, I believe so. Um, 30, 30 second history, again, basically... Tenjin in this was... podcast, a little 30 second history <laughs> that's delivered in three minutes. We, we need some sort of like bumper for that. 30 second history. Um, anyway, Tenjin made a lot of unlicensed games for the Nintendo. And then... Because, uh, to give a little bit of video game history there, because of the video game crash of the 80s, Nintendo said that you can only publish, what, five games a year? Uh, on yeah, which is why Konami created outside other branch companies like Ultra and yeah. uh, I mean a lot of people got around it but it's like they didn't want to oversaturate the market so a lot of companies tried to find ways to get around it Tengen I believe uh, got a court order to get some of that technology uh, because they said that they were going to sue Nintendo and then decided to use that technology to release more games instead yeah um, so in case you Source don't know Wikipedia. Tengen, yeah. Ten- Tengen cartridges are usually the black ones that are oddly shaped. They don't have the official Nintendo seal on them. Uh, and if you put them in a top loader, the label's upside down. So, anyway, uh, Tengen released a version of Tetris around the time that uh, Nintendo was acquiring the rights to Tetris for their official Nintendo release. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came out before, I think came out before Nintendo actually released Tetris, but after they acquired the license. Right. And it had various two-player modes, which the NES version of Tetris did not have, and different music and, of course, different graphics and such. Uh, it only sat on shelves for a few weeks before Nintendo had them pulled, and it was very hard to find. Mm-hmm. And I managed to find one, and I played a little bit of it yesterday. Yay, is it everything was cracked up to me? Um, it's Tetris. <laughs> it's Tetris. It, it's very strange playing Tetris on a Nintendo system without hearing Troika or Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies yeah. in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that was a, you know, three-minute time killer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Epic Mickey... Uh, which was announced I've heard as... very little about it lately. Yeah, it, it looks really good. Uh, it was announced as a Wii exclusive, uh, which had me excited having a Wii, and mm-hmm. just the game looks really I wonder amazing. if you could crack open the disc and find a hidden Mickey inside of it. Uh, uh, have we discussed the hidden Mickey and Miss Mickey Mouse campaign on this podcast? We may have. Yeah, basically... Supposedly, I read this on Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. If you open up the casing of the NES cartridge Mickey Mouse Capade, there's a hidden Mickey on the circuit board. We have a few copies. <laughs> I'm sure we, we have could quite do a few. original research. We, we could do this on next week's podcast. Good, you can hear us go. It's eating us! Anywho, ADD. Um. Disney won't rule out Epic Mickey on 360 and PS3. Basically, now that both systems are A, more popular systems for hardcore games such as Epic Mickey, and B, will soon have motion control, supposedly. Yeah. (laughs) 
we we still don't know anything about Sony's motion control. Well, they they've released some more stuff, but I mean they're they're being pretty sparse with it. So uh, probably at E3 we'll see some huge demonstrations. Which is funny considering the motion controller was supposed to be out before E3. Um, I think iPad was supposed to be. That wasn't the. Uh, it was supposed control. to come out spring of this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But I mean, are you honestly surprised? Name, are you honest? It's. No. I think it's called a wand. Yeah, I heard sphere. Okay, well, it's not named. <laughs> um, yeah, you said AD, ADD. I'm like, eh, I'm using Disney diversion. Rumored third Mortal Kombat movie, which I might add has been rumored for almost 10 years now, uh, hits legal snag. Uh, basically, uh, Warner Brothers has signed with. Well, because Warner Brothers Interactive owns the Mortal Kombat license now, mm -hmm. they are going to release it directly through them. But uh, Threshold Entertainment apparently still had a contract with Midway to make the movie. Threshold Entertainment was the holder of the right for the movies. Yeah, and I would have. I would have thought that when WB got the uh, license, they would have gotten outstanding contracts like that too. Yeah. Well. I mean, considering Threshold Entertainment has done nothing with the Mortal Kombat license since the late 90s, they probably figured yeah, I mean, it that... had already expired, but I guess they renewed the contract in 2006 for the purpose yeah. of this third movie. Uh, it, it really annoys me when a copyright holder doesn't do anything with it, and then someone else goes to do it, and they're like, no, we'll do it now. Yeah. That just, I mean, what really annoyed me was the Max Payne movie. There was a really, really good fan-made film called Pain and Redemption that was just about to come out. They put a ton of work into it. It was a couple months from release when they were shut down, when it's like, well, we've seen, it was basically, we've seen a lot of people being really interested in your movie, so we're going to make an official Max Payne movie. Yeah. Which sucks. Yeah. So it's, it's I'm I, in general, I'm not happy with people who hold the copyright to something and don't do anything with it until they see someone else being really successful with it. Yeah. Well, we see that a lot in gaming. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, homebrew community will do something really fantastic and the company will pick up on it and say, this is a great idea, make it for us. Or, hey, we're going to take your ideas and make something good out of it, and whether the original creator gets money for it or not, at least we get to see the fruits of the labor. Now, the opposite is a, a cool uh, company, like, for instance, Valve, upon seeing a project like, oh, Narbacular Drop, gives them uh, money and funding and official status to become Portal. That's the opposite, and that I really yeah. like seeing. I mean, the... Well, the Valve is a thing. much more community-oriented mm -hmm. developer. But, like, the um, whoever it was with Max Payne, they could have just been like, well, this is really popular, tell you what, you pay us uh, royalty fees, and we'll release it to, like, theaters and stuff for you. You know, work with them on that. Yeah, I mean, well... You pay us absurd licensing fees, I'm sure. Yeah, but, I was... I lost my train of thought because you changed topics partway through that sentence. Well, um, no, it's it's a a, a uh, company being cool about it as opposed to being like, no, you can't do that because you were going to do it. Yeah. No, you weren't. You were yeah. sitting on it and you know using it as toilet paper. Yeah. That's a very inconvenient way to use toilet paper. Well, I mean, yeah. what do you do? Just like sit on them and wiggle your butt around? <laughs> and All right, now that this is official, officially devolved into toilet humor, <laughs> I think we should... And then to this week's Game Nuts podcast. Sound uh, good? 
Yeah, sure. I had a couple of other news articles, but you know what? This is devolving very quickly. Yeah, so. we actually, um, I said how we're trying to move away from news articles, but some weeks there's just nothing interesting to talk about, so. Well, and, you know, we, we do less of, like, you know, news, 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 news. We're trying to get more into the news discuss, 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 discuss. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a topic. Rhode Island is neither a road nor an island. Discuss. I would call it more of a thoroughfare. Anyway. Because you definitely don't want to stop there, you just sort of pass it through. Stop okay. arguing with SNL sketches. <laughs> uh, too bad. Alright, this is a voter saying if you have any comments on the podcast, I almost forgot this. If you have any comments on the podcast, <laughs> go ahead and leave them at gamenutspodcast.blogspot.com or email us gamenutspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, until next time, this is Boater signing off. And this is Fear the Claw saying, suck it, Trebek.